Well, this is going to be a false start because I don't know what numbers we're talking about. So we'll have to do this whole <laughs> bit again. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Top Order podcast. It's Cricketing Hall of Fame time again. 55 through to 51. How many Aussies is Baldy going to be able to squeeze in? Stay tuned to find out. It's the Top Order podcast. Well, boys, it seems like an age since we've done one of these, but we are going to count down number 55 to number 51 on Michael Baldwin's the Top Order podcast. Hod, um, That's a sort of a, a niche bricklaying um, um, podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're going to count down 55 to 51. Um, just a reminder for any new listeners to the pod, the way this works is we stick six minutes on the clock for each of the five players we're going to discuss. Bordy gives us a little rundown of their stats and then we try and tear him apart. Um, we're going to start off with number 55 on the list. Bordy, I can see you've got your stopwatch ready. Your timing in the room um, there, I think. Um, I'm joining remotely. So, um, Bordy, when you're ready, start your engines and let's have a chat about number 55. Well, just before we kick off, we will be having a podcast uh, counting down the 100 greatest uh, construction workers and... <laughs> Uh, casual laborers that's for 2023 they'll have that ready so the 100 best casual laborers in australia new zealand will be coming your way very shortly but today on the top order podcast let's put six minutes on the clock for an absolute legend of pakistan batting one amongst many javed me and dad 124 tests for javed me and dad 8832 runs at an average of 52.57 2343 50s his average above replacement player for new listeners that's the average above like players in the same era as Javed Mandad plus 12.54 so that's good enough for 14th all time uh, he scored 1200s per 100 test matches and 2200s per 100 test matches as well so that's good for about 60th and, and 39th respectively so some pretty impressive stats in there I'm going to throw a stat out to you just to start this podcast because I looked at this and I thought this was incredible. I had to double check it. His average never dropped below 50 in his career. Javed right. Mandat. From his first test to his last, he averaged 50. He was the youngest player to ever score a double 100. He scored 100 on debut. He was the seventh fastest cricketer to 8,000 test runs. An underrated legend of Pakistan batting Javed Mandat. Yeah, well, I want to jump in and sort of say that that's kind of what I thought when I looked at Javed Mandat's stats is that the the batters above him must be pretty good if we've uh, if we've got him down at at fifty five here it is uh, you know I mean the the first memories that I have of him I you know only really caught the end of his career I think about that ninety two World Cup which is not a happy memory of of him certainly from a New Zealand perspective coming in and helping Inzamam win them that semi final I did have a video when I was uh, you know around that time I had a video of I think the Pakistan uh, tour of New Zealand in 1989 I think is, is the dates and Javid, Javid scored a, a truckload of runs in that series uh, he scored uh, it was a very boring series I don't really know why it's kind of one of those times when you're a kid and you've got videos and you just watch them over and over again because you've really got nothing else and no other TV to watch 
But yeah, he he scored 101 of the tests. He scored 271 in, in the other one, and and one of them were rained out. So I certainly had a pretty high opinion of of what Javid uh, Mandad was as a, as a cricketer. It wasn't his only good series against New Zealand. I've got in his batting peak here: 1976-7 against New Zealand in uh, in Pakistan. 500 runs at an average of 126 with 200s. And it's not the only time that he's averaged over 100. In fact, I've got three series here where Javed Mandad averaged 118 against India in Pakistan in 82-3 and also in 78-9 averaged 178 against India in Pakistan. So in home conditions, he was absolutely just supreme. Um, captained, the t- captained his team at, at the age of just 22. He's the eighth youngest test captain of all time. And by all reports, a pretty abrasive captain. There were a couple of, I think, um, you know, mild rebellions against his captaincy style. So, you know, not the most um, uni- uniting captain. I think players sort of didn't really play well under him as captain, but he'll join a long line of Pakistan captains that have come and gone over the years. Binksy. Yeah, my first memory of him is that 92 World Cup. So I think uh, the final England played against Pakistan. It was going ever so well for England. Um, Derek Pringle knocking the top off uh, the order, slow left armour, um, Amir Sahail and, and Ramiz Raja opening the batting. And it didn't get better from there for, for England. Imran Khan, I think, promoted himself up the order to bat number three in that final, but then put on a massive partnership with Javid Meandad, who got uh, 50-odd, I think, in that. Uh, World Cup final. And yeah, I, I guess picking um, perhaps some of his own players and um, sort of finding him difficult to play with. He was that kind of bloke, I think, that you you would you would want on your side. You would want him in your dressing room rather than someone you played against because he, he brought that edge, didn't he, to, to the side and that sort of little bit of antagonism, I think, which, yeah, look, look, stood him in um, really good stead um, from... Uh, uh, yeah, from a test cricket perspective, very determined cricketer, I think you would say. So, Paulie, why why is he so low? I mean, we there's a, a couple of people, in, or certainly one in this list, that when, when I won't spoil that. We'll have that conversation when we get there about the two of them compared against each other. But mm. maybe just touch on, you know, 52 average, unbelievable. You've, you've already talked about the stacks of runs that he has in general, the, the consistency that he showed throughout his career. Why is he so, you know, I mean, 55, 55th, best test cricketer of all time is not uh, something to be sneezed at, but why is he so low relatively? Look, there's no real one reason to point to it. I think what we're going to find as we go on is some of the batters that are to come in this list are all-time greats of the game and, and, and have some element that is top five, top ten, top three all time. Javid Mandat has got a fantastic record. He's kind of 18 to 20th in just about every category. He's 20, 28th in 100, 22nd in 50s, 14th in AARP, 18th in runs and 20th in average. He's a top 20 batter of all time. And this is about where the top sort of 19 to 20 batters are in this kind of 55 to, to 51 range in this in this list. So I think he's about right. Um, he's got nothing in his record that screams he was the best in the world at any one time in his career. He was certainly up there in the top two or three batters of his of his era. Look, I... I got into a YouTube rabbit hole this last week preparing for this podcast and just watching him hit the ball off the back foot through the offside. There's a lot of players that can hook and cut powerfully, but he hit the ball off the back foot, you know, through the offside. And of course, who can forget if to sum this up, the classic exchange with Merv Hughes, who I think is everybody's favorite um, sledging story. If you haven't heard it, allegedly. Fat- well, there's no allegedly. I, I've got a, um, 
Oh, there's the there's the loud that's bell. Beautiful. I'll, I'll I'll put it in the show notes because it's a, a great story, and it, I actually found one of Merv Hughes telling the story. So uh, we'll, we'll he, put that in the show notes. He can do I a better job of, than of we can. But we can. Um, uh, Raj, tickets, please. So, boardy number fifty-four on the list. Famous cricketing uh, family. Let's uh, let's find out who we're going to reveal here on our cricketing hall of fame. So from batters to bowlers and from Pakistan to South Africa, at 54 on the list we have Sean Pollock, a veteran of 108 tests for the Proteas. He scored 3,781 runs at an average of 32.3, uh, two test hundreds and 16 test 50s, but it was as a bowler that he really made his name. 421 test wickets at an average of 23.1 and a strike rate of 57. A 10-wicket haul and 16 five-wicket hauls in his career. So an absolute contributor to South African cricket with the bat and the ball. His AARP as a bowler is 12th all-time. He's got the 12th most wickets, 22nd in average, 23rd in five-fifths. So look, this guy was an absolute hero for the South Africans and did it with both bat and ball, a bit like Daniel Vittori in that um, in that New Zealand side from a similar kind of era, just did everything. Um, average 32 with the bat, average 23 with the ball, so that's what, plus nine, something like that. I think that's fifth or sixth uh, all-time amongst players with 2,000 runs and 150 wickets. He's easily got that double. He's got 3,700 runs and 421 wickets. So um, absolutely outstanding cricketer for South Africa and a guy who did the most with the physical gifts that he had at his disposal because he wasn't a tremendous athlete, I think, in the sense that, you know, Kyron Pollard or Andre Russell or, you know, those kinds of players are physical specimens, but he managed to get the most out of his body and the most out of his action, which from behind, watching him run in and bowl, looked like he was kind of bowling in the nets. It looked like he was going to bowl 115 kilometres an hour. But some of the YouTube highlights of him bouncing out Australians and bouncing out English batters in, in home conditions in South Africa was pretty impressive kind of stuff. I don't think he could have chosen two more, two bowlers who are more different to Karan Pollard than those two West <laughs> Indians that he chose there to compare him to. I guess for me, memories of him are definitely uh, on the bowling side. Uh, really distinctive action. When I went back into the, the archives, having a look at YouTube this week, I think you could silhouette it and, and everybody would get that action if you put it in front of them uh, who, who loves their cricket. I put him in that, that same sort of category you're talking about, Glenn McGrath, someone who's dependable, bowls good areas. And for me, I just he was a mainstay in that South African lineup. You knew you were always going to see him with the new ball, be it red or white, batting somewhere from seven till nine. Um, but yeah, uh, really, really good bowler. Here's a stat for you. He's got the most hundreds in test history, batting at nine. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I was. I mean, you know, I, I actually had Glenn McGrath written down on my sheet as well. I completely agree in terms of that. He's sort of that, you know, the metronome, I guess, isn't he? That, that just keeps hitting the same mark every single time, so consistent and uh, and picked up his wickets that way. But the batting, as you guys have mentioned, yeah, I, I was staggered when I looked at the the, the plus minus because I, I know that's been a, a topic of your Hall of Fame so far, Baldy, and you know, how, how rare those players are that actually do average over a significant uh, matter of games that actually average over, you know, their, their batting average is significantly higher than their bowling average. And yeah, it's just Do we want to run impressive. through that list? It's a pretty impressive list of guys that have got 2,000 runs, 150 wickets, and a plus-minus over like five, right? So we've got Ian Botham, plus 5.1, Shakib Al-Hassan, plus eight, 
uh, Sean Pollock plus nine, Ravi Dadeja plus eleven, mm-hmm. and then you're into the greats. You're into Keith Miller plus thirteen. Imran Khan plus 14, Jacques Callis plus 22, Gary Sobers plus 23.7. So like he's in pretty heady company when you think about, you know, he's got a plus nine batting against bowling average. And look, a guy who also captained his side as well. It's not easy to captain your side as a bowler um, because you've got to constantly be thinking about bowling rotations. You've got to be thinking about where I need to be in the field, who's coming up, and then think about, okay, what ball am I going to bowl best? I think the benefit that Sean Pollock had was he was so – metronomically consistent that he didn't really have to think about, okay, what ball am I going to bowl? What plan am I going to execute to this batter? He just put the ball in a good area, fourth stump, fifth stump, nibbled it about a little bit and made batters make decisions. The thing that really surprised me was how good his bouncer was because if I think about Sean Pollock, I think about a swing bowler who bowled 125, 130 k's an hour and didn't really put a lot into his action. You actually watch him from side on when you watch some of that footage. He's actually putting in, his delivery stride is quite a lot bigger than you think it is. And that bouncer that he bowls from quite high, he's a tall guy, and gets really high in his action. He actually has a really, really, really nasty bouncer. And it was undoing of some, you know, pretty good back foot players. I watched him get Ponting. I watched him get Blewett. I watched him get Matt Elliott in a, in a test series against Australia. So, look, he was he was had that kind of bouncer that could really surprise you as a bowler. And look, he's a, a fantastic cricketer for South Africa. And, and look, um, you know, we mentioned his, his family pedigree just before. I mean, you know, dad, Peter Pollock played, played for South Africa as well. Graham is sort of regarded as, as one of the greats. I can't even remember if he's on, on your list here, Ball. He may not have played enough games that a lot of South African players at that time didn't really get enough games of, of test cricket, but yes, yeah, certainly uh, regarded as, as one of the greats. And, yeah, look, his, his average against all the teams, apart from Australia, which I think actually probably says more about Australia at that, that it time. Does about him, yeah. About Pollock, but against every other team, averaged under 24 with the ball, so super impressive. Just touching on his leadership before we round out this conversation, he only kept in 26 tests. Felt like he kept in South Africa for longer than that, but 26 tests, 14 wins, uh, I think seven losses and five draws, so 53% win-loss ratio, so it must be 14, uh, 14, 7, and 5. Um, so a win-to-loss ratio of 2.8, which is 8th all-time uh, for captains captaining more than 25 tests, and a 53% win-loss ratio, uh, which is excellent as well, and that's good enough for ninth all-time. So they were a strong side, South Africa, and, and Sean Pollock was a great leader of that team as well. So, Bordy, we'll move on to number 53 on the list. Um, he's got three initials, which I think is always the sign of a good cricketer. Who are we going to talk about next? Yeah, absolutely. Three initials is always a sign of a good cricketer. S-C-J Broad. He's big, he's bad, he's better than his dad. 152 tests. I was going to say and counting, but maybe not. We'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. 152 tests thus far. Not done yet, Stuart Broad. He has 3,412 runs at an average of 18. And who can forget that? Sol 100, 169 uh, is higher score. He has 537 wickets at an average of 27.8, a strike rate of 56.9. He's got three tenfers, 19 fivefers, and an average above replacement player of plus 3.73. I am, of course, talking about the man who is the half, I guess, of the greatest fast bowling partnership of all time as far as wickets is concerned, Stuart Broad of Anderson and Broad. Binksy, let's come to you. You've grown up watching Stuart Broad for most of your kind of adult life. It feels like he's been around forever. He's obviously synonymous with Jimmy Anderson as being part of that that double double barrel partnership. What's his legacy going to mean for you as a fast bowler? 
Look, I'll just say, I, look, I know that we mention him in the same breath as Anderson all the time, but I, I think what we forget is he's, he's actually several years younger. He came onto the county scene, I think, um, as a very, very fresh-faced youngster in 2005. Um, when, you know, Anderson had already been playing for several years at that point. So, uh, look, I actually think his legacy, it's a little bit disappointing for a guy that's going to end up with, um, you know, probably 500 um, plus plus test wickets because I think he does come back. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And he's always going to be sort of talked about in that same breath as Anderson. I think he's got a legacy in his own right um, as a fantastic test match bowler and also had really, really good impact in the in the white ball, ball game early in his career as well. Um, very, very skillful in, in that um, in that game. And um, look, I think probably felt a little bit hardly do, uh, harsh done by in, in terms of his, his white ball career ending after that 2015 um, World Cup. So, yeah, look, for me, I think his legacy is still a little bit to be written. Um, but look, he's just a fantastic competitor. And one of those guys, I, I, look, I'd be interested to get your, your views on this. When he's got his tail up and he gets on a roll i don't think there's a i don't think there's many better seamers in the the, the world when they smell blood he really does uh, make sure he goes on and, and kind of takes big and um, big hauls of wickets who can forget that eight for against uh, australia for example Baldy. yeah unfortunately for me i had the has the ability to take wickets in clumps bracket eight for 15 sad face in my notes <laughs> you're right when he gets when he gets ahead of steam he is one of the hardest fast bowlers to defend against because he's just at you all the time. He's always there or thereabouts. He bowls very, very well to left-handers. I actually think he's probably, for a fair amount of time now, he's been the best bowler in the world to left-handers because he can challenge the outside edge of the bat. And, of course, particularly with David Warner, he can get the ball to bend back into the to the right-hander from around uh, – sorry, the left-hander from around the wicket. And he can challenge you in that in that respect as well, the front pad and, and you know, that LBW or bold decision. So – Look, he he absolutely has his own legacy to write in in the annals of Test cricket, but he is the perfect foil for Jimmy Anderson. You know, Jimmy Anderson, swing bowler, broad always brought with him a little bit of aggression, a little bit of venom, a little bit of bounce and pace, and 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 that kind of perfect foil for Jimmy Anderson. So when people say, well, you know, it's Anderson and Broad. I think that's being maybe a tiny bit disrespectful to Broad in the sense that he does deserve to stand on his own two feet, but it's also because he was such a wonderful complimentary bowler to Jimmy Anderson. Binksy, just a question for you. Uh, having you know never really lived up to his batting potential, does that take away from his legacy for you at all, or is the the ball his performances with the ball enough for for what we're doing here? Well, but Baldy, how many wickets has he got again? Just reminders in, in Test cricket. It's five hundred and thirty-seven. Yeah, I, I think that stands alone and um, pretty well without being particularly great with the, with the Willow. Um, but look, I, I guess you know he, he was an opening batsman as a kid. Um, so you know I think uh, there was probably a very very brief period where you felt he might be an all rounder. But I, I do think that that was a very very brief period. I think he's been a tail ender who in the early part of his career had a little bit of fun with long levers, obviously got that 160 odd, then got sconned by Varun Aaron and, and has never been the same since. Um, but look, I, I think re the reality is that the bowling uh, 500 plus test wickets takes a heavy toll on the body. He was never going to be that um, that all rounder. I do just want to add one point and look, I'm sure you may disagree with me. 
I think he's been the guy that's actually started the trend of being able to come round the wicket to the left-hander. We didn't really see that too often um, before Broad. And, and he's almost made that uh, one of the sort of de rigueur options now for, you know, a seamer to left-handers and, and particularly David Warner. Very rarely do you see um, an opposition attack not go to that tactic pretty early against him because, they, you know, they know he's so susceptible to it. Uh, look, you guys have been talking about his legacy as a, a player. His, his legacy is the seller appeal, isn't it? Like the, the, when I think about Stuart Broad, that that is the the main thing. Apart from having David Warner on toast, that's, and, a, and the headband. I like the headband. That yeah, was, the head, that's been my favourite Stuart Broad. The headband fashion statement. But surely it's that appeal. Surely it's the hits the pad and just runs down the wicket celebrating and doesn't look at the umpire. I mean, it's, since he started doing that, a bunch of other people do it every now and again. I think that's that's going to be his lasting impact on on Test cricket. As as much as I'm being flippant because I actually want to have the the conversation about the that stack of wickets that he has on our next uh, in our next. Uh, Next guest in the Hall of Fame. We'll finish, we'll finish with a good stat. We like a good stat. So Stuart Broad, one of only four men in Test history to take a hat-trick and score 50 runs. 2011 Trent Bridge against India. Wow, there you go. I didn't have that stat. That's a great one, Raj. Well, let's head from Trent Bridge um, across the ocean to South Africa for number 52 in our Hall of Fame. Uh, Bordy, who have we got at number 52? I think this one's going to be a bit controversial in the in the Pat Cummins mould. In, in terms of he's still playing his test career, he's, he's only 26 years of age. He's played 52 tests. He's currently at number 52 on the list. Kagisa Rabada, in just 52 tests, he's taken bags of wickets for South Africa. He's got, he's got four 10-wicket hauls already in just his 52 tests at 26 years of age. He's got 11 fivers. Look, the ratio of 10-wicket um, matches to tests is 14th all-time. His average above replacement player is top 25. He's already into the top 50 all-time in, time in terms of wickets, and he's only 26 years of age. He's got potentially another 10 years left in him as a medium fast bowler, he could go down as one of the greatest bowlers ever to play cricket for South Africa. And that's really saying something. But how can he be here? Come on. We've just talked about Stuart Broad scored. It's taken 537 wickets at this point. He's taken 300 broads, almost taken 300 more test wickets and you've got him behind Kagisa Rabada. Look, I love Rabada as a bowler, but I need I you do. to explain a bit more on, on where that's come okay, from. Okay, I'll give you I'll give you two arguments, right? Here is a list of bowlers with 200-plus wickets at an average of less than 25 and a strike rate of less than 50. Are you ready? There are one, two, three, four, five, six. Right, all time in the history of Test cricket, Malcolm Marshall, Fred Truman, Alan Donald, Dale Stain, Kagisa Rabada, and Wakai Yunus. They are five absolute legends that are no doubt in the top 30 of the of the best bowlers of all time, and Kagisa Rabada. That is the company that he is in. Stuart Broad has been an absolute legend for England cricket, but he does not average under 25, and he certainly does not strike at under 50. This guy is striking at a rate that is bested only by guys like George Lohman and Sid Barnes, who played... And Shane a Bond. And, Sh and Shane Bond. Well, <laughs> this is an interesting cop, right? This, this guy is what Shane Bond could very well have been had he been injury-free and able to stay on the cricket field for the majority of his career. Because it is the strike rate of 40.7, which is why he's able to get 240 wickets at, at this kind of average. I mean, you have a look at his strike rate at home in South Africa is 34. 
amazing. And it's 53 away. Even in away conditions where it's not as conducive to seam bowling, perhaps, or as pace and bounce, he's still striking at 53, which is as good as Broad and Anderson and McGrath and, and all the rest of them. He is on track to have the same kind of career, average-wise and strike rate-wise, as Dale Stain and Alan Donald. Like, he's on track for 440 wickets at an average of 23-24 and a strike rate of 42-43. That's why I've got him in the top, almost in the top 50 all-time at the moment. Because even if he retired now, he's got the second-best strike rate of all-time. He's top 15 in average, and he's got almost 250 test wickets. He doesn't have as many as Broad, but he's got them at a rate that is far, far superior on a test-by-test basis. And that's why I've got him him at at number 52. I know it's not going to be a popular decision. I I realise that. I know there are a lot of people, and I'm looking at um, fans of the podcast who often text in and go, Baldy, you've got this guy way too high or way too low. I'm prepared to cop a lot of feedback around Kagiso Rabada because I genuinely believe that if he retired now, this is where he should be because of that strike rate and that average. And if he keeps on track and he stays injury-free, he's going to have 400 and 450 test wickets easily by the end of his career. So why is Shane Bond not higher up the list then? If he'd Shane stayed Bond, fit. Shane, Shane Bond, uh, he, oh, I wish he'd stayed fit. I mean, he's only got, what, 90? 90 to 100 yeah. test wickets? So, I think. Yeah, so unfortunately he doesn't qualify in terms of having enough wickets to qualify for the Hall of Fame. Had he have played 50 tests and got... 240 wickets, we'd be talking about Shane Bond in the same breath as we're talking about Kagisa Rabada and, and greats of, of fast bowling. Unfortunately, it's it's really shared, sad because I loved watching Shane Bond bowl, but just couldn't stay on the cricket field for long enough, unfortunately. On, on Rabada, I actually agree with you. I think that in the fullness of time, I think that he will be regarded as one of the greats, but you, we're, we're betting on potential here, I guess, is, is, is where we're sitting. And we know um, Baldy likes to do that, though, don't we? He, he does. likes one for the future. He does. I, do. I love he the, does. Future, the future, future prospect. I guess the, the issue is with the volume of cricket now and Rabada being such a good white ball bowler, that may impact his test numbers. He may not end up playing as much test cricket as we think he will mm. or being as effective because, you know, he's Because he's playing lines. a lot of vol- exactly. volume of cricket. But that's, that, right. that's the only way I can see that argument falling over. I, I actually agree with you fully here, Baldy, and his performances down here at the start of the year were incredible. You could see why he's got those numbers. And, I mean, just backing up that point, I think that I tried to look at, you know, recent form, 2020, 2021, he only played, he's only played seven tests. And I think, you know, obviously COVID's in there and things. and But, I mean, it, it's sort of... You know, you go from Stuart Broad, who they play so many tests. It's, it, you know, in digging into some of these numbers, you could see how how glaring that gap is between the big three nations and the amount of tests that they play compared to to some of the other nations. So yeah, K- Kagisa Rabada's career going forward and the actual number of, uh, of games tests. that he's got to yeah. and that's to and build that's, that legacy. And that's why I'm trying to value for him as much as I can the per test numbers, and they're absolutely outstanding. They're top twenty all time. Well. Baldy, let's see if the algorithm is still on the blink as we move to number 51. I'm half expecting Adam Voges to pop up here, um, even with just those 20 or so test innings. But who who have we got at number 51, Baldy? We don't have Adam Voges. We've got an Australian who averages 50-plus, who has scored a lot more runs than Adam Voges. No disrespect to Adam Voges at all, but this guy has scored 8,625 runs, opening the batting at an average of 50.73, and we'll get to that stat. He's got a high score of a lazy 380 at the Wacker, one of his 30 test centuries, 29.50s for the Australians. I am talking, of course, of the 103 test veteran from Kingaroy, Australia. He is Matthew Hayden. Can we start with that 380? Because I remember, I actually remember it in terms of, um, you know, the, the 
I'm thinking more of like Clark and um, Mark Taylor around that the Bradman score and Bradman score seemed to mean so much to Australia. You know, the highest score for an Australian. Mm. Then Hayden goes past it and you know breaks the the world record against Zimbabwe. Who you know, this is I was going to say no disrespect, but it is you know they were not a good test side when he did that. Mm. What I mean, how did you feel about it? How was the reaction in Australia? Because you know, I personally think you know whatever, go for, like go for it. If you're going to break a record, good on you. They still won the test by an innings, so mm. there's no sort of okay, just stat stat padded and in a, in a in a tame draw. No, yeah, um, I think. I think the the romance of the three thirty four was kind of enhanced by that um, Mark Taylor declaration in Pakistan, where he declared on himself overnight at three thirty four, and I think that kind of further enhanced the kind of almost romantic notion that no Australian should ever go past three thirty four. Of course, world cricketers had been doing it for for a long, long time. That world record of three thirty four only stood for a couple of years before I think Wally Hammond went went past it, and then Hanif Mohammed went past his his um, his first class high of 452 in the late 50s before Brian Lara beat it and got his 501. So neither of those marks were really world records. So it, in terms of its overall significance, I don't think there was really much on the table. It certainly felt like from a romance point of view that, you know, that was kind of the last real big record that Bradman had in Australia in terms of volume of runs. He owns all of the, you know, per test averages and all that kind of stuff. He still owns all of that and a lot of that won't ever be broken. But that was kind of the last one that he had that hadn't kind of been been beaten. So I think there was a little bit of romance to that. I Personally, I was I was ecstatic for Matt Hayden to go out and get 380 runs because you can only like it's all very well and good to say oh he should have declared or or what or what have you but you've still got to go out and get all of those runs and concentrate for that period of time and hit the ball to the boundary you know he might have been gifted some runs by a, a, a test attack that wasn't maybe at its peak it wasn't the, the the most competitive test attack we've ever seen but you know you still got to go out and make those runs when they're on offer so I was I was really happy to see him see him get that 380 he averages 50 opening the batting there are very very few players I think there's only one two three four five six seven players who've got four thousand plus runs like Hayden does and average 50 opening the batting and again you're you're talking about legends here Sutcliffe Hutton Hobbs Hayden Gavaska Saywag and Graham Smith averages 49 opening the batting so there are only six players that have averaged 50 and scored 4,000 runs opening the batting and that's why I've got him above guys like Javid Meandad because for me Opening the batting is one of the hardest jobs, still one of the hardest jobs in a test cricket side because you're playing in conditions that favour the bowling on most of the occasions when you walk out to bat. Occasionally you'll get a road and you can make a lot of runs, but for most of the time you're at the you're at the behest of the bowlers when they are at their best. You know, you've got to play on the morning of a seeming deck, you've got to play on pitches that turn, all that kind of stuff. So look, for me, opening the batting's the hardest job and I think Matt Hayden's hundreds are what sets him apart. What about his... His purple patches there, Bordy. I've got that 2001, 2002, 2003 period. He scored 3,500 runs at over 70 mm. in Test cricket, 1600s. What about that? The thing that cements his legacy, I think, is that India series, 2000, 2001. People were still bagging Matt Hayden as a Test cricketer, saying he's got a big front pad. You know, he's susceptible to a ball coming in to that front pad area. He kind of plays around it. Australia were 
going to struggle, I think, in India without him making all of those runs. He made 549 runs at an average of 109. He got 200s, he got 250s, he got a double 100 against India in those three tests. I think most of the other Australians, I think, put together didn't make 500 runs in that three-test series, and he made 549 runs on his own. And that established him, I think, for the rest of his career as not just a player who was a flat-track bully, because I think that's a an accusation that's levelled at Matt Hayden a lot by his critics, is that, oh, he just smashed the ball when it was, you know, when it was flat and he batted at the gabber and just, you know, hit through the line and he wasn't a good technician. That India series proved that he could bat on difficult wickets against good bowlers in challenging conditions and set him up for the rest of his career. Baldy, I'm sure you'll get the the stats out or, or at least be able to kind of, I guess, give us a little bit of a trend analysis here. But I, I think I'm right in saying that the thing that really stands out for me is that that India series, he'd actually struggled the last, the previous time he played in the subcontinent and went away and worked really, really hard on um, the way he was going to play spin, particularly the sweep. Yeah, I, I think the other, the other piece for me is just how far above his first class average his test average was. Um, so I think first class average ran about sort of 42, 43, something like that, but really managed to, you know, to excel and get every ounce out of his ability on the the test match stage to average, as you said, just over um, over 50. Uh, yeah, look, um, fantastic, fantastic uh, cricketer. And yeah, look, nightmares about uh, facing him. I'm, I'm sure some bowlers, you know, that big broad chest and the way he walked down the wicket at um, even the quickest uh, bowlers and and dispense them some harsh just, just, justice at times. And am I remembering correctly, I remember, so, oh, I feel like I remember sometime late in his career where he talked about you know, dominating the bowling and how important that was and that the first thing that went through his mind when the ball came down was, how can I hit this for four? Which is not your opening batter's uh, rationale normally when, you know, on ball one of a test match. And I feel like he did that regularly. And I, I think he counted it down. He said, look, I tried to see where I can hit it for four. Then I think, okay, we're going to hit this for three, then two, then one. And then if it's too good, I will I'll defend block it. it. Or I'll leave it go, yeah. And that and that's a mindset that has really changed a lot in terms of opening the batting. We see a lot of opening batters now that are prepared to be aggressive, prepared to take on the bowling. He was prepared to take on the bowling even when the ball wasn't in the slot. Um when I was looking at his YouTube footage, he hit a lot of balls on the up down the ground. And I mean like above the knee roll, he would hit on the front foot down the ground. He had a tremendous advantage because he was kind of six foot three, somewhere in that area. And he was very, very big and strong, but he was able to use that leverage and use that strength to take on the bowling. And he ended up with 30 hundreds as a test cricketer. That's 12th of all time. There are only three batters that are openers that have got more than 30 hundreds. Hayden's got 30, Cook's got 31 and Gavaska's got 33. Um, and here's another little stat for you guys. Players to score four hundreds in a row twice, Ken Barrington, Bradman and Hayden. Only three of them. So there's a little stat to, to round out that that little set. But, yeah, I mean, I'm prepared to take a lot of criticism for Matt Hayden as well. I'm sure a lot of people will be saying that there are other guys who should be higher in the order. But I'm happy where we've got him at 51 because I think that, that ability to score hundreds at the top of the order and to go on and make big scores sets him apart from a lot of batters that we've seen in Test cricket. And, Bordy, he's got to be about the only one in the top 100 with his own cookbook as well. So um, there you go. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Baldy, always enjoyable uh, talking through our top 100 um, players, even if there's a, a few on the list that I'm sure uh, the odd listener might text um, or comment on our social media 
about. On that note, if you do have any comments for Baldy, I'll give you his personal email address um, and you can fire that um, at him. But no, you can contact him on the top order podcast at gmail.com or drop a note in the comments uh, on our Facebook or Twitter feeds. But that's probably just about it for now on the Top Order Podcast Hall of Fame. Now that the New Zealand cricketing summer has come to an end, you'll see a few more episodes uh, counting down well into the top 50 over the course of the next few weeks. But for now, it's good night and God bless from us all here in Auckland. See you soon.